Gotcha. <laughs> well, it's good to be back. There's, I know, quite a few that are out and about, either traveling. There's one person in particular who I will not name, and uh, that's not here. So all of you that were like, oh, is he going to talk to me? Uh, he, but he owes me some barbecue. He's, he's, tex- he's traveling in uh, Texas, and it's not Molly. Molly's here. But, uh, and uh, she's a she, not a he. So. But he's traveling in Texas, and he's going to be down by one of my favorite barbecue joints. So I told him he had to go check it out. So I'm going to see if he checks it out. But uh, some, some really good barbecue and some Dr. Pepper down there. So got to go down. So <laughs> I'm, I'm wetting uh, Jerry's appetite over there. So, <laughs> so anyway. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of people are traveling, some people having some good family time this week, and then some people that are just not feeling well. But you know what? Sometimes we don't pray. We pray for those that aren't here, but sometimes I know that some of you that are here are struggling as well. We have, there's painful things going on in our lives, physical, spiritual, just hard things. And, uh, and so I just want to um, thank the Lord that you are here, and I know that you struggle and that's okay. Um, it's okay to be struggling because that's why we're here is to look to God. We all struggle in many ways, but we have a Savior and we have a Lord who loves us and we have a Lord who is greater than all things. And so we look to Him for our encouragement and to give us wisdom and to ask Him for that wisdom. And so we want to, if you're new with us, we're studying through the book of Romans and uh, and so today, rather than starting a, a three-part series, I broke down my notes and we're uh, doing just a little bit of what we're going to talk about in a few weeks. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the attitude of an active and mature believer. And so we're going to be looking at verses 14 and 16 specifically. It was my joy to practice being grandpa and so I did that. I found out I really love that more than I thought I would. And, uh, and I just i am so thankful for that, what God has been doing in my life. And God has really blessed. Um, I've been pain-free in my back for about a month, and that's been a miracle. Um, after about 20 years of pain, um, and the doctors didn't do anything. So all I can say is God has been a real blessing, and I'm thankful that God brought uh, Donald into my life. First time I met Donald, first thing he said, he said, just look at me, and he says, do you want to uh, just keep uh, throwing medicine at it, or do you want to be responsible for your own health? And I'm like, wow. (laughs) So been working on and on with Donald, and he has killed my legs, which in turn has just been a blessing to my back. Uh, I hated leg workouts in high school, but I'm thankful for Donald. Um, not that he is a great man, that God has just blessed him with some very encouraging things that he has given me. And so it was a blessing to lay down on the floor with my grandson and be able to get back up. I loved it. Um, I was able to go play uh, hike and run around the hills with my son-in-law, and I was not sore the next day. Um, I won't tell you what Malachi was feeling, but uh, he needs to go see Donald. So, <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, I, 
but in all in honesty, it's a blessing that what God has done, and I am just, it's a gift um, to be able to experience life with my grandson. Now, I didn't show any pictures. Uh, I didn't want to go too long about the grandkid this morning. I took over 300, so I don't know where I would stop. You know, they're all good. <laughs> so if you want to see pictures, uh, Anissa and I would be glad and love to show them to you and talk and talk and talk. But this morning, we want to talk about our Lord and how amazing He is and the blessing He is to us. We want uh, to really elevate God, and in doing so, we want to elevate His Word. So let's pray one more time. Lord, we are so grateful. I just pray for those that are struggling and maybe those that are uh, dealing with painful things right now, that you would just bless them. I just thank you for those that came anyway this morning. I know it's a struggle sometimes to get here. And there are days that I can really relate. I'm thankful for today uh, that I can stand here and proclaim your word and the beauty of it, the fullness of it, and the reality of it and how it really impacts our life for eternity, not just for now. So Lord, I pray that, that you would be, give grace and peace to those today that as they hear your word, maybe those that are listening to uh, on the live stream, watching, listening, um, but those especially here today, as we study your word, that you would give them a special grace to see you today and to see your desire for us and the joy that comes with that desire that you have for us and that you would um, grow us even through hard things. So, Lord, we, I just praise you for all the beautiful things that we can mention. I am, uh, the things I'm thankful for, the things that many in the, the, today in the auditorium and on live stream that are thankful for, that we would give you praise and give you glory. And so, Lord, speak to us now. May you use your spirit to teach us in the way that you can beyond our own understanding. We thank you for that work that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I said, we're in this series, and I really want to focus on this idea of this attitude. And attitude is a way of thinking, right? Um, you see Paul talk about that often, many times. And he's kind of giving his mental idea, his attitude, his act, in which he active, uh, actively acts on and thinks about when it comes to people, uh, not only people, but church, a geographical location, the reason he does the thing he does. And so he talks about this attitude, and it really does activate his life. It gives the course of action in his life and also really shows the maturity and where he has come in his life. And so we want to look at that uh, this morning. And so, whoops, I went too far. <laughs> Go back. There we go. And so we want to look at that, and I want you to think about where Paul came from as a, as a Jew. He's a Jew, he's a Roman citizen, um, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he has an amazing uh, understanding, he has an amazing giftedness and understanding of the law of God, the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament, the prophets, um, and he, he's just a brilliant in that aspect, so brilliant that he was so passionate to basically destroy Christianity. And then, of course, God saved him. 
And in doing that, he became passionate for Christ. And now he's talking about Rome, and he's talking about going to Rome, which is very interesting because think about Rome. And during this episode, in, um, we see in Paul's life, in the direction that Paul is going, we see that Rome is really the epicenter of the world. Rome has become the superpower. Um, Rome wasn't always the epicenter of the world, but Rome became that. Different times and different societies. A lot of times, right, even right now, we think of ourselves as the epicenter of the world, but we are not. Um, we think of ourselves that way. Rome did. Rome thought of themselves as the rulers of the known world. They were not only the epicenter of the known world, but they were also very uh, debased. They had very sinful leanings at the height of the time when Paul writes this letter and, and God sends Paul to Rome. Rome is, I mean, just the height of their sin knows no bounds. Um, they are just utterly sinful. Um, if you can think about things that are disgusting to you or sinfully disgusting, just magnify that, and that's what you have in Rome. Um, it's not a good place. It's not a place that most Christians would want to go. And yet you see Paul, he's saying, I long to go there. Why? That I might preach the gospel. The gospel that concerns the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God himself. The gospel that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what's amazing is as you look at these two opposite cultures of Paul coming out of Judaism, coming out of his, you know, the Jewish lifestyle, and going to Rome, and it's a completely opposite lifestyle. One with law, and one that's based on power, and there's no moral law. Right? Two polar opposites. But neither culture was important to Paul. I want you to kind of grasp that, to think about that. Because in that understanding, you really begin to see this attitude and this desire of Paul. The gospel is his focus. It's his entire focus. It's his only focus. The love that he has for the people in Rome begins and starts with the gospel, and it continues with the gospel. No, cultural references don't matter. And I want you to think about that, because we see culture, even today, whether it's politics or in society, we see culture is at the forefront of all things in our life. But in verse 1 of Romans to get the context of verses 14 through 16, you look at verse 1, he says, Paul, right? Who is he? He's a slave to Christ. Not only that, but he's called an apostle. He was called. He was, God set him apart to be an apostle, to be a messenger for the gospel, to set the foundation of the church. That's what God designed Paul to be. But then not only was he designed to be the foundation of the church, to bring the gospel, to set up the theological foundation of the church. 
But also we see that he was set apart for the gospel of God, God's gospel. Of God is the modifier for the gospel. So it's not just any gospel. It's not the social gospel. It's not some gospel. It's not a gospel built on laws. It's not a gospel built on just doing good things. This is God's gospel. Look at verse 2. It says, right, or verse 3, he says, in verse 2, he says that this gospel has been promised forever from the beginning of Scripture. And in verse 3, he says, concerning his son. It's the gospel that concerns the son, concerns the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, right? He says, for the sake of his name. Verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. It's the gospel that belongs to God that's about Christ. It doesn't belong. It doesn't get to be modified by anybody. Nobody has the authority over the gospel. God does. It's important to understand that is the message that Paul is bringing, that we have Christ. We have a Savior. We have someone who who basically lived a perfect life because he is 100% God. He's 100% man. He's not just Jesus, but he's the Lord Jesus. He's Christ. He's the Messiah, the one who would come to take away the sins of the world. He's the one that lived a perfect life so that way he would die and rise again so he would take all the wrath of God. He would take everything that was bad in this world. It would be heaped on him so then that way we can receive all of his perfection, his goodness, righteousness that comes from God. That's why it's a gift. He gifted us his righteousness and he rose again. Because he conquered death and rose again, we, not only because he paid for it, we receive the benefit that he receives. If we work for something, we only receive that which we work for. But he was perfect, and the benefit that he received, we receive. That's a good news. It's all about Christ. That's great. I want you to see the gospel is the heartbeat of a godly believer. Without the gospel, we don't have a heartbeat. If we want to be mature and active and godly, we want to be godly people, it begins and it continues with the gospel. Can you imagine that? We are born, we begin to live, we have a heartbeat And we're living life and we're like, now that we're alive, now we don't need the heart anymore, right? Can you imagine? Yeah, we need the heart. If you take out your heart, you're not going to live. Not for very long unless you hook yourself up to a machine, right? We need a heartbeat. That's why we have those paddles. I remember practicing with some. It was a lot of fun. It's a good thing they have very explicit instructions. Because I would be the one that would want to, you know, try something different. We, the gospel is that way. We cannot begin our life with God and then just say we don't need the gospel anymore. It's our heartbeat. How do we become an active, maturing, godly believer? It started with the gospel and it continues with the gospel. In our text in verses 14 through 16, we see 
A lot of theologians have called this the great I am's of Paul. He says, I am obligated. I am a debtor. He says, I am not, um, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel. And then he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He says these three great I am statements. It's the I am's that matter to Paul. He's saying, these are the things that matter in my life. These are the things that are active in my life. The, the term I am, the verbiage there means that this is who I am and I am continuing to be. And that's important. It's Paul's attitude for life. It's why he wants to go to Rome. It's why going to Rome is important. Do you notice if you read all through the book of Romans, right? He, think about it. There are messed up problems in Rome. None, he didn't go to Rome to fix their politics, right? That's a jab for some of us that get wrapped up into politics. I'm a, I'm a closet politic griper, right? Only my wife hears it every once in a while. She says, be careful, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> she knows what I preach. <laughs> so, right? Some of us, you know, we, we complain about that. We're, but he didn't go to fix the politics. He didn't go to fix their hunger. There was a ton of hunger. He didn't go to fix their slave problem. There was major slave issues. He didn't go to fix their economics because they had economical... It was horrible, the economics in Rome. And finally, it, it, finally a lot of all those problems, they collapsed on itself. And Rome was no more. We see that happening even to us right now in, in America, which is great, by the way. And you're saying, that's what? That means the Lord's coming sooner than later, right? Because America is not in Scripture, by the way. I'll just let you know. We're not that important. But Christ is. Christ is important. Paul sets the stage his, this attitude, the I am's he's stating here, sets the stage for all the theological content that he begins to unpack about the gospel in the book of Romans. It is so, so vital. Number one, we see that I already mentioned, is that we see I am in debt to God and others. Verse 14, he says, I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, to both wise and foolish. By the way, you know, the Greeks were considered wise, right? Barbarians were considered foolish. Do you know the word barbarians? In the Greek means ba 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 So when the Greeks heard every other culture around them speak, that's what they said they sounded like, was just a bunch of ba 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 And it became the word for barbarian. They were barbaric in the way they live, the way they talk. They put them down. They didn't like them. They said they were, so we have, which is interesting. Paul is saying, look, I am under obligation to both the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the foolish. It doesn't matter what social class they were in. I am obligated to them. It doesn't matter how wise they are or how foolish they are, I'm obligated to them. It didn't matter how, what social status they had or how much money they had or don't have, I'm obligated to them. 
He doesn't care about equality. He cares about the gospel. Did you notice that? It doesn't matter where, what people are, where they're at in life, their station, the problems that they face. I am obligated. You know, the word obligation means a, a person is indebted to something. One who owes another. Its background speaks of a financial obligation that is owed by one person to another. If you are a debtor to someone, you have an obligation to pay off that amount that is owed, right? The word obligation literally means a debt to something. 2 Corinthians helps us to understand this idea of debtedness. They use the same word that this, or the same concept that is being displayed here in 2 Corinthians 5. 14 through 15. Scripture that's on our bulletin, a scripture that's in my office. It says in verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, and those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for the one who, for their sake, died and was raised. What's interesting is, wait a minute, when God saved us, I didn't think, I thought it was a free gift. I don't think we were debt, in debt to God because of our salvation. That's true. It's a free gift. But what God says here is, is now it's no longer my life anymore because it was purchased. Paul said in verse 1, he says, I'm a slave to Christ. Our salvation, the work on the cross, the work that he did, our salvation was a free gift that he did that we might come to him and have our sins forgiven and have our relationship restored so we're no longer at war with God because of our sin. We have Christ. It is a free gift. He offered it to us freely. It cost him everything. Our indebtedness is not because of our salvation. Our indebtedness is because God is Lord. He purchased us. He says, we no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake, who made us alive. Now that we are alive, we live for him. So we have this indebtedness, first of all, to God, but it spills out over to others. It's a divine obligation. In Ephesians 3.8, Paul says, I have this divine obligation to preach the gospel, to use the gift that God gave me. It motivated Paul. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, further on in the verses that we, from the verses we read earlier, in 19 and 20, he says, that is, in Christ, God has reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There we go. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God's appeal through us. We have, this motivates us. We have this, relationship with God and now that what he did for us he reconciled us to him giving us this relationship with him he paid for our sins he took care of our accounts he took it away and now he says he wants us to share that message with others to be ambassadors that's where we are indebted not only to God but we are also indebted to others 
Let me give you another illustration. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel is asked to be a watchman for Israel. You know, a watchman standing on the wall to watch out for the enemy. Say, the enemy's coming, right? By the way, do you know what they did to that watchman that didn't, that fell asleep at their post? Yeah. Well, the further back you went, right, back in the army days, the, they would get thrown in the stockade, right? Uh, <laughs> you get thrown in the stockade, but the old, the farther back you go in history, the, you lost your life. If you were a watchman, it was a very serious thing, right? When, uh, and you say, I'm going to take the first watch, that meant that you had everybody else's life in your hands. And Ezekiel is being asked to be the watchman. And, and it says here in verse 1 of chapter 33, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land and the, and the people of the land, take one man among them and make them their watchman. And he sees the sword coming. Now, interesting, just a note, where is the sword coming from? coming from God. This sword, I'm going to set a sword upon you. He's talking about a sword, of, a sword of judgment. He's going to bring judgment. And he says in the, in the middle of verse 2, he says, if I bring a sword upon the land and the people of the land take one man among them and make them their watchmen. And he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. Okay? So if the trumpet, if the guy says, hey, the sword, the judgment is coming, and he said, here it comes, and he blows the trumpet, and the people ignore the trumpet, then the blood is on their own head because they didn't listen right? Verse 5 says, he heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself, but, but had he taken warning, he would have escaped with his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes uh, a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will be required from the watchman's hand. Wow. So here we go. He says, now here's the thing. He says, the watchman blows the trumpet. They hear the, and, but the, or the watchman sees the sword of judgment coming and he doesn't blow the trumpet. And that person gets carried away in judgment for their sin. Now they're being judged and they're being carried away. So they do receive judgment. But the watchman also incurs blood. blood. That man's blood will be on his head. Wow. Verse 7 says, Now as for you, son of man, I have given you as a watchman for the house of Israel, so you will hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his ways, 
that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. Paul is saying, I am a slave to God. And I, I owe a debt to God, but I owe a debt to others. I am a watchman. I have the good news. God has spoken. There is judgment coming for our sin. I have to share the gospel. It doesn't matter who they are, what station they are. The most important thing is the gospel. And if I don't share the gospel, it'll be on my head. We must note here that the obligation is first and foremost to God, but the payment is to men. I like Romans 8, 12 through 15. I won't read the whole thing, but it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but we are supposed to be led by the Spirit of God. Um. Hudson Taylor realized this. Many men would come up to Hudson Taylor, man, you really must love the Chinese. He realized this, and it was when it was suggested by someone that, has given, that had given his life to the Orient because he loved the Chinese, and Hudson Taylor shook his head and answered thoughtfully, no, not because I love the Chinese, but because I love God. You see, Paul... He loves the Lord. Steve Lawson, um, preacher, put it this way. He says, this is a two-way debt. And he he explains it this way. He says, one way is if someone lends you 100, right? If they lend you 100, as long as, as that 100 is in your pocket or you're using that 100, you are in debt to the lender, to the person who gave you the 100. You need to give it back to him at some point. The other way you can look at debt is the other way would be if someone gave you a $100 bill uh, and, and, and they say this, I'm going to give you this 100 and when you see Pastor Kyle, I expect you to give it to him. I, I thought I'd use me because that'd be nice. But, <laughs> but yeah, and he said, now when you see it, right, when you see him, give him that $100. $100. Now, as long as you have that $100 in your pocket, you're both indebted to the one that gave you the hundred, and you're also in debt to the person that is meant to be given to. You see the two-way debt? So when you're given something, and you're expected to pass it on. That's Matthew, by the way, 28, verse 19 through 20. Go make disciples. That's we are called to be ambassadors, to tell people about that they need to be reconciled to God. The idea here is, is the second way is the manner is exactly what Paul is speaking here when he has incurred this debt. I have been given this gift and God has commanded me to pass that gift on. Do you realize that we are under obligation? We are under debt. To share the good news. Everybody that doesn't have the gospel is under, under the wrath of God. God is coming. The sword is coming. Who is going to be spared? 
are you going to blow the trumpet and tell them? Or are their, their judgment going to be on our heads? But he didn't stop there. He went on to say, I am ready and willing to share the gospel. Do you see this? He is ready and willing. That's what the word eager means. It doesn't mean that he's just excited. Sometimes we say eager, like I was eager to leave last week and go see my grandson. I was eager. It was pent-up energy, right? It makes you do weird things. It makes you say strange things. It makes you do strange things. No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, I am ready and I am willing. I have the gospel. I am passionate about the gospel. I know what Christ has done, and I want to tell you about it. I want you to have what I have. I am ready and willing to share the gospel with you. Verse 15. I am eager to proclaim the gospel to you, those of you that are in Rome. Matthew 26, 41 talks about this eagerness. When he says in verse 14, watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, right? We always say I'm ready and willing, right? But the flesh is weak. Titus, um, a pastor, Paul was trying to give this attitude, this mindset to Titus. And he writes in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, and Paul is talking to this young pastor and he says this, and he says, remind them, talking about the church, to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. Ready, to be ready and willing for every good work that God has for us. That's what Isaiah 6, 8. Remember Isaiah when he saw the Lord and he saw how great God was and he says, and God says, who's going to go and tell everybody and warn everybody? And he says, here am I, send me. He was proclaiming his ready and willingness to proclaim the message of God. Right? 1 Peter 3.15 he says, always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that we have in you. Are you ready and willing? And then thirdly, he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. By the way, ashamed means this. Ashamed means to experience a painful feeling when we think about something, Right? A painful feeling or a sense of loss of status because of some particular event or activity. Do you feel a sense of pain or when we talk about the gospel with people or when the gospel comes up with other people? Do you sense a loss of status like, oh, they're going to ridicule me, they're not going to... You know, they will ridicule you. But you know what's funny is when I played baseball in high school... When I, you know, just because I talked about God, I still played third base. I didn't lose my status. I still started, not until I broke my leg in five places. <laughs> I lost my starting spot then. But uh, no, it's funny. Sometimes we do lose status because of the gospel. Sometimes we are ridiculed. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Paul says, I am not ashamed. It doesn't matter. I'm going to, remember where he's going. Nero on the throne likes to burn Christians as 
nightlights. Sin is worshipped and celebrated. People dying, people starving. Everything is celebrated. It doesn't matter. That's where he's going. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I don't care about my status. Think about it. He goes to Rome as a prisoner. Right? He's not ashamed of whether he's a prisoner or not. In fact, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. He says, therefore, he's telling Timothy as a young pastor, he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Do you realize that your testimony is not your testimony? It's God's testimony. It's about what God has done for you. It's God's. He said, don't be ashamed of your testimony that about our Lord. Not your testimony. I added that. Excuse me. Said, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Verse 12, he goes on to say, he says, he says, talking about the gospel of what he's been appointed to, he says, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I believe and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day when he takes me home. I know. I am convinced. Therefore, he is not ashamed. Do you know Christ that way? That you know. It's, by the way, it's not an experience. That word I know is to be convinced. It's to know that this is true. The Jews in 1 Corinthians 1 says, the gospel, Jesus, the gospel of Christ crucified was a stumbling block to the Jews. Do you know what stumbling block means? It's scandalous. It was a scandal to the Jews. They didn't like the gospel. The Greeks thought it was just moronic, foolishness. It literally means irrational. That guy's out of his mind. He needs to be committed. That's what the Greeks thought of the gospel. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I am not ashamed. As we close, I want to ask you this question. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What is it? You know, some people, they're passionate about a lot of things. Passionate about their jobs, their careers, success, power, authority, family, happiness. Do everything they can for happiness. It's where addiction comes from. All they want to be is happy. What are you passionate about? Politics? <laughs> There's that word again. It's a bad word. P. <laughs> what are you passionate about? Because what you're passionate about is what you're going to invest the most time in. Paul says, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed. I want you to think about this. Think about those, last, those, those three things. I am not ashamed, I am eager, and I am obligated. You, if you are ashamed, you'll never be eager to share the gospel. You'll never be willing to share the gospel. Ready. You just won't be ready. The more ashamed you are, you'll never be ready to share the gospel. But the more that 
you're ready to share the gospel, guess what? The more you'll go out and share the gospel, you'll feel the weight of your obligation to the Lord. These three I am statements are pretty amazing. They really do determine the activity of a growing, active, mature believer. Are you these things? Are you, do you feel the weight of the obligation that God has put on you to live for Him and to share the gospel to others? Are you ready and willing to share the gospel of what He did? Not what you're doing, what He did. And ask that question, what am I passionate about? Because a lot of times, you know the things that we're passionate about get in the way of the gospel. And in a lot of times, in a very slippery, small way, we begin to be ashamed of the gospel because it gets in the way of the things that we're passionate about. Paul was passionate about God, his gospel, which led to his passion for others. Now let me ask you a question. That sounds very familiar to the two greatest commandments, doesn't it? Love the Lord your God all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. I don't know about you, but I am eternally grateful for my salvation. If I am eternally grateful for my salvation, am I sharing that gratefulness that I have for God's salvation to others? Right? If The more you love God, the more you love others, the more you share the gospel. It's very simple. There's no right way, wrong way. It's all about Christ. If it's all about Christ, you'll get it right. If it's all about you or making somebody else feel better, you'll get it wrong. If you're worried about the gospel, you'll get it wrong. If you're worried about uh, what people think about you, you'll get it wrong. If all you do is love Christ, you'll get it right. Let's pray. Lord, we are indebted to you. It is difficult. Lord, this is the secret to the power in in Paul's life. To be able to do the things he did, to say the things he did, to see those that came to Christ. It is the power. Verse 16 that we'll look at in a few weeks and talk about the power of the gospel. Lord, may you help us to perceive and to realize, to understand the power that you have placed in the gospel. That it is the heartbeat to a godly life, to a life that is not built upon the circumstances that we see ourselves in. We don't have to create this circumstance to be good. Because, Lord, we aren't good. We know that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Every good deed is as filthy rags in your sight. You've told us that in Isaiah and Romans chapter 3. We need your goodness. And so you sent Christ to be that good for us. To pay for our sin once and for all. Lord, I pray that everyone that's hearing that right now would realize that and they would surrender their life to you. Maybe they've heard back in the day that, oh, God is good and he loves you 
and give your heart to Christ. Ask him to come into your heart and he'll save you. But maybe they didn't understand it. And this morning they, they, they feel the weight of their sin and they realize they, they need to just hand their life over to you because you paid for their sin. And you realize and they believe they have faith in Christ. They no longer have faith in their life because they realize they are not good. That they would call upon you this morning. And Lord, by the power of your spirit, that you would save them. Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to respond, that they would do that as we sing and as we're praying. Lord, that you empower them to be saved from their sin. Lord, may we feel the weight of that debt. May we may it empower and be the heartbeat of this church that we would desire the church to grow with not in the building, but that we would want people to be with us in heaven to proclaim that judgment is coming. Give your life to Christ. Respond to Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by and through you, through that gift on the cross and through your resurrection. Lord, may we grow because of that message, the message of the cross to the work of Christ. May we proclaim Christ and him crucified, risen, and coming again. And may we see the body of Christ grow eternally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.